Today we'll be discussing the career of actor Chris Hemsworth, and we'll be discussing Alzheimer's disease. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode I pick a topic for Ali from comedy to entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today we'll be discussing the career of actor Chris Hemsworth. And Chris got some concerning medical news recently about his risk of developing Alzheimer's disease in the future. So in our next section, we'll be discussing this disease. Okay, Ali, so let's get right into things. Chris Hemsworth, the mighty Thor, great actor. I, I do think he's quite funny. So let's talk a bit about him. We can talk about when we each kind of first heard about him, became aware of him, a bit about his background. And then I have a special surprise for you about Chris. Oh, is he here? Uh, no, no, no. Um, well, then nothing's really going to compare to that. I'm going to guess... That you, as a guy who lays in bed and touches himself thinking about Star Trek, first started watching Chris Helmsworth in uh, Star Trek. Yes? No? That's when I first heard about him. Right. There he you was, go. He I was, know you. He played James T. Kirk's father in the reboot. So J.J. Abrams in 2009 did this reboot of Star Trek. And he's only in the first like five minutes. And he, I'm not going to, you know, I'm very worried about spoilers because one of our friends who shall remain nameless, who we just saw recently, gets like super upset with any spoilers. So if I say, you know, something happens in the first five minutes of this movie involving Chris Hemsworth, that's a huge spoiler. And he gets so angry and he wants to like throw his uh, phone away if he's listening to uh, our podcast on the phone. That friend is a ding dong. Let's Wait till we hear that criticism from anyone else. Lots of other listeners listen without the urge to throw their phone. I think anyway, you can tell us if uh, Asif has been spoiling things. The other thing, this movie Star Trek came out in two thousand nine. Like there is a statute of limitations on spoilers. You know, yeah, for God's sake, Come you, you know, if, if someone is saying Darth Vader is Luke's father, and you're like, wait, which I, I mean, I haven't even gone around <laughs> to seeing it yet. Okay. <laughs> All right, relax. Anyway, so he, that's the first time I actually did right. him. And, and it's true. It's a very small role, as we said, five minutes. But it, it is kind of memorable. And you you did think to yourself, who is that guy? That, that's an interesting actor. And then, and then, of course, he was cast in Thor. That was his next big break. So what about you? When did you first hear about him? It was Thor, actually. It was Thor. I don't watch a lot of Australian soap opera, but if I did... That's where I would have seen him first, right? His brother, Luke, his older brother, was on a show called Neighbors mm -hmm. in Australia. And he was on a show called, I think, Home and Away. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah. And those are the two biggest, uh, although, you know, Home and Away has only been around since the 80s, but they're the two biggest soap operas in Australia, two longest running, uh, I don't know about biggest, but two longest running Australian soap operas. So, yeah, I'm not really into that scene. Not that I have anything, you know, it just never comes across my radar. But yeah, I, I basically, Thor was my introduction 
to Chris Helmsworth. And part of me was wondering which Helmsworth this was. I wasn't even 100% sure at the time. Right. So he has these two brothers, Luke, who's his older brother. Luke, he has probably the least successful career out of all three, though he's still- Out of, outside of Australia, yeah. That's right. But he was in Westworld. That's where I kind of saw him in North America. I watched mm-hmm. the first three seasons of Westworld, and then that show became extremely bad. And then Liam Hemsworth, who people know from the Hunger Games movies, that's probably his biggest role. Gail Hawthorne, in case you can. Wow, that's pretty good. And he also (laughs) was married to what famous pop singer who I watched (laughs) a couple weeks ago on New Year's Eve, doing the New Year's Eve countdown from Miami Beach with Dolly Parton. Blanks, nothing but blanks. Miley Cyrus is the ex-wife of Liam Hemsworth. Yes, and uh, that uh, New Year's Eve party was pretty good. It was great. And especially Dolly Parton. I mean, Dolly Parton is... So good, man. Actually, so is uh, Miley Cyrus. She really loves doing cover versions of other songs and doesn't really like playing her own songs. Like she And she has a big <laughs> variety of musical tastes. Anyway, very, very off topic. Now, what do you think of Chris Hemsworth in Thor? I thought he's fantastic. I like where Thor has gone also a little bit more making fun of himself. Once Thor becomes, and again, spoiler alert, I don't know, man, come on. Suck it. You're not a real fan if you don't know that he got fat Mm -hmm. and was drinking all the beer in town. (laughs) And I really liked that. I I thought that was a great direction because there was a time where, I don't know if you know this, Chris Hemsworth was on Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with the Stars in Australia. Yeah, the Australian uh, version. Yeah, but Hollywood was worried that that would affect his role as Thor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I I think I'm getting this right, but I might not. But I, I believe that they wanted Thor to be this incredibly manly macho you know it's god of thunder what's he doing dancing what's he doing doing twirls on a dance floor very macho misguided attitude but i remember at the time that it was possibly going to affect his role Mm -hmm. in the marvel universe turns out he's making more fun of his own character now yeah than than anything dancing with the stars could have ever done so i like the direction they've gone in with him quite a bit i really like thor and i really like him as thor and did you know that tom hiddleston who plays loki Mm-hmm. He actually, you know, uh, I'm gonna say applied for the job. Audition is actually, I believe, the word you Hollywood types use. Is he auditioned for the role of Thor? And it was kind of between mm-hmm. those two. And of course, it went to Chris Hemsworth, and then Tom Hiddleston got the role of Loki. So they got to act together in all these movies. By the way, speaking of dancing, you should look up this video of Tom Hiddleston dancing on some British talk show. I can't remember the name of it. Not Graham Norton. Yes, Graham Norton's right. talk show. I believe it's Graham Norton's talk show. And he sort of gets up. You know, Graham Norton has the couches yeah, there on stage yeah. and other guests. He has quite a few guests. I don't remember who else he was sitting in front of, but they're pretty blown away by this guy's dance moves. This guy can move. Oh, like wow. it's, it's crazy. I mean, he's a great actor, Tom Hiddleston as well. He kind of really elevated those Thor movies. And until the first two, uh, I think, were elevated by him. And then, of course, in the third and fourth one, directed by Taika Waititi. And those kind of really made a turn into comedy. And I think Chris Hemsworth is really known now for being this hilarious comedian. Did you see him in the Ghostbusters reboot? I mean, the all-female cast, not Ghostbusters Afterlife that came out last year, but Ghostbusters... No, I uh, have not. So that movie is not good, unfortunately, because I, I really... It's the one that got slagged, right? You know? Oh, of course was, I did. Of course I did. He plays the receptionist. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know what? I just put that together right now. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I didn't realize that was the God of Thunder. Oh, really? Sitting beside... 
Yeah. What? Yeah, oh, yeah, wow. yeah. I don't know. I don't know anyway, what to tell you. Great yeah. role. He was the best part of that movie. And I think he was so funny. That movie wasn't good, which is really too bad because there's lots of online trolls who were like, oh, because it's women, they didn't like it. Those guys can go jump in a lake. Suck but, an egg. Yeah. yeah, there you go. But unfortunately, it's really objectively not a good movie. So that's the problem is. I do remember that. It's hard to defend it when you, even though you want to defend it. But anyway, I'm sure it has its fans. Okay. Ali, I think, you know, this is basically it. Hemsworth has three kids. He grew up in the outback, and I believe he lives, you know, he does have a home in Australia, I think, in the outback. So he kind of does live, you know, this kind of like outdoorsy life when he's not doing his movies. He's married to a supermodel, I believe, Spanish supermodel. That's what you do in the outback. You marry that, supermodels. That's right. That's right. Well, he, Everyone is married to a supermodel in the outback. That's what I heard. I heard that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, that's basically it. So I thought we'd do something a bit different, Ali. I found some trivia on Chris Hemsworth. So I thought I'd ask you this trivia. All right. This is going to go bad for everybody, but now, go ahead, bud. Okay. But first of all, see, now I'm kind of like telling you how the sausage is made is in that we use a Google Doc that we both share because we can both look at the same time. So you can't look and at the Asif Google Doc. was very mean. He blacked a whole bunch of things out. Yeah, is but I now I have to unblack it out. Oh, so now you're, I can So you can it. read okay. it. So don't look at it is what I'm telling I you. I won't. I close I it or won't. something. Okay? All right. Here we go. you guess his childhood nicknames or the nickname Chris Evans, who plays Captain America, calls him? Uh, Helmsley? Hel Hems Hemsy? Worthy? Yeah, Hems Hemsy was one of his childhood nicknames. Very good. And that's just, you just have to play hockey one season and you, that's easy. That's very, very simple. <laughs> I think he played hockey. I'm sure he played a lot of hockey in the Outback. So Kip and Hemsy were his childhood nicknames. And Chris Evans calls him Hemi. Isn't that cute? Hemi. Yeah. See, that's just the hockey style. That's what that is. Hemi worked hard today, uh, put the puck to me uh, right on my stick, barely had to do anything. What does Kip mean? You, you're I just going to no leave idea. that out there? Okay. I have no idea. All right. Okay. Okay. So he has a cinematic crush from a movie. It's a character from a movie, a very famous movie, came out in 1987. It's one of the most popular movies of the 80s. I would say, and I'm being a bit gender profiling here, probably inappropriately, many women will say it is one of their favorite movies from the 80s, but it is, mm -hmm. a, it is a bit of a fable. Okay, that's, that's your clue. Sharon Stone... Basic Instinct. Fatal Attraction. Basic Instinct. I mean, uh, Glenn Close, Fatal Attraction. <laughs> no. Um, Is that not a fable? No. Is that not told to the children as they lie in bed? In 1980s, a fable. Oh, oh, The Princess Bride. Correct. So his cinematic crush is Robin Wright's Who Princess Buttercup. Robin Wright? Exactly. I mean, she's amazing. He's not alone in that. He's I mean, not alone. It, yeah, that's such a great movie. My, my family's watched it a million times. Indubitably. So he almost got into two big franchise movies, which he auditioned for back in the 2000s. I don't think you've seen either of these, so I'm going to try and give you some clues. So one, he got close to playing a franchise. It was a franchise of an action figure that was made into a movie in the 2000s. No. no. Channing Tatum's role in G.I. Joe, he almost got that role. Okay. These G.I. Joe movies were not very good, by the way. Let's all agree on that. Which I know you're sad about because you collected the action figures. You were a G.I. Joe guy, weren't you? I was more of a Star Wars guy, but I had a handful of G.I. Joe figures, yeah. yeah. 
That's what I'm saying. That's where I remember seeing that. And then he almost was in X-Men Origins Wolverine. Did you see that movie? I did. Hugh Jackman's first solo movie. So he almost played which part? Do you know? No. Gambit. Taylor Kitsch, who who is really fallen off the face of the earth in terms of actors. He played Gambit, who's like card. He's, he throws cards. He can energize cards and throw them. Yeah, but no? very, very lean and, and skinny, right? Taylor's yeah. character? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so it would have been a completely different look. Yeah, 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 exactly. Not a huge buff character. No, no, no. Not mm-hmm. at all. And Gambit's not really okay. like that in the movies. Anyway, so he almost got to be Gambit, and he almost got to be in G.I. Joe. He has a fitness app. Do you know what it's called? I'm sure you this. How would you ever know this? Mm, no, can't even guess. Hemi Hemi works out. It's called Center C E N T R. How to train, eat, and live better is the slogan. And it's interesting how we started doing this because everybody kept asking him, "How do you get in such good shape for the movies?" And of course. He didn't want to talk about human growth hormone. I'm just joking. <laughs> oh. oh my god, I'm just joking. Please, everybody, relax. Uh, oh no, so boy. he talks about his fitness, nutrition. You know what his personal trainer makes him do, and I mean, I mean, it makes sense, right? If everybody's asking you, it's because they want to know. Sure, like our friend Marco Timpano was asked so often, "How do you start a podcast?" That he wrote a book. 25 things I wish I knew before I started a podcast. Now, if he had millions of dollars, he would have just opened up a fitness gym yeah. instead. Marco. Yeah, I, I think this is not the first time that Marco Tempano has been compared to uh, Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Okay. Both adorable. So, yeah, that's right. That's right. Both super buff. So, his first job, okay, was cleaning something. It's a type of medical equipment that gets rented. Do you, do you know what his job is cleaning? <laughs> Close. It's something you would take from a medical rental place and bring to your house, perhaps after you just had a new arrival in your house. Okay. You've had a baby and then you rent a incubator because the baby is premature. <laughs> No, you probably shouldn't bring a baby who needs an incubator to your house. I would probably advise <laughs> that against was, that. Like, that was the joke. Okay. All right. It's yeah. the, that's actually, you know what? You should use that for your comedy. It's the new, you know, home births. Okay. Home, home neonatal intensive care unit is the next step. <laughs> oh, boy. That's probably going to get me in trouble. Okay. What is the answer? The answer is cleaning breast pumps. He would. He worked oh, uh, for a uh, pharmacy that would rent the breast pumps, and he would clean them. There we go. He has a hidden talent, which a lot of people had back in the day. Especially our parents would have this talent. Uh, my, our mothers would have this talent. Nowadays, not that much. People don't do it as much. Juggling? Wasn't your mother a juggler? No, baking, uh, sewing, sewing. Sewing, sewing, exactly. I think sewing is really one of those things that like, I, I know a few of my friends who sew, but it's it's become a bit of a lost art. So yeah, his mm. hidden talent is you don't sewing. Mean knitting. You don't mean knitting no, with no, needles. Sewing. Lots sewing. Of, okay. I would say more people knit. I'm sure you have some friends who knit. Oh yeah, well, there's knitting clubs. And- sewing to be a good sewer. I mean, that's a lot of work. But I have my friend, my friend Aaron, who's a big sewer. What's up, Aaron? So, Ollie, that's it. That is my quiz about Chris Hemsworth. Is he is he the hottest of the Chris's? I would certainly say so. I would certainly say so. We haven't talked, but we'll momentarily talk about his series called Limitless on, on Disney+. And he's supremely watchable just as a guy even, you know, hanging out in the wilderness. He's very, very, he's a beautiful, beautiful man. Sorry, Liam and Luke. <laughs> 
Let's talk about Limitless then and this risk of Alzheimer's that he has. Next yeah. section, engage. That's from Star Trek. So, you know, we've been wanting to talk about Alzheimer's for quite some time. It's top of mind for me. My father's best friend passed away in 2022 after quite a long battle, at least what I think was a long battle, watching it from afar. It felt like it was is quite long. We'll talk about the length of Alzheimer's and, and that as well. But why don't we back up? I think a lot of people think they know what Alzheimer's is. And this is one where, you know, sometimes I don't read up about something and I don't know anything about it. This one, I I know a fair amount, but I, I'll still ask you because I'm sure there's a lot more to learn. But how would you describe Alzheimer's? It's a type of dementia is what I know for sure. Yeah, it's a type of dementia. You know, it's funny, a lot of patients, especially when I did out neurology, they'll talk about, oh, yeah, you know, my my mother or father, my grandfather had old timers disease, old, old timers. I'm like, well, that's not quite the pronunciation. I don't think the German was the uh, uh, the Z turns into a T. So some people confuse it about that. But of course, it occurs in, in older people. It's one of these diseases that does not occur in pediatrics. A lot of neurologic diseases can occur in both, but not this one. So basically, it's a neurodegenerative disorder. It causes dementia. So dementia is the umbrella term, and you can have different kinds of dementia underneath it. And you get cognitive and behavioral impairment that progresses over time. That's basically basically how it's diagnosed. It's diagnosed clinically, and you could say someone has probable Alzheimer's disease. So clinically just means when you see somebody in the clinic, they go through their history of their memory and their thinking issues, their cognitive issues, then you can diagnose it. A definitive diagnosis can only be made after death. So everybody who has a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease is probable Alzheimer's because you can only actually make it on autopsy. You can get clues based really? on some testing. But even do. if they're in the last year, weeks of their life having clearly suffered from textbook Alzheimer's, you cannot definitively say it until... Technically, no. Technically, it's what we call a pathologic diagnosis where you need to look at the brains. But, but I mean, we assume, you know, again, because so many people fit the classic typical form. Mm -hmm. And so what happens briefly, and we'll get a bit more in detail into this in, in a few minutes, but basically you get these plaques. So these plaques are just these collections of proteins and materials, not like the plaque that's on your teeth, or not even like the plaque that's in your heart, okay? So you could just think of plaque in this term as being an, a substance that's accumulated. That's probably the easiest Deposits. way to think about it. Deposits, good way of putting it. And so it develops in different areas, these plaques, but typically in the hippocampus. And the hippocampus is an area in our temporal lobes. So our, our temporal lobes in our brain are underneath our temples. And hippocampus, it stands for what? Do you, do you know what hippocampus is? I didn't know it was short for something. I thought it was long enough. It, I don't know if it's Greek or Latin. Someone will correct me. But it stands for horse or seahorse because it looks like a seahorse on the brain, right? So when you cut open the brain, so you get these deposits there because the hippocampus helps us to encode memory. So now you can see why memory is, has a big dysfunction in Alzheimer's disease. Then other areas can be involved that are involved in thinking and making decisions. So now it all kind of is getting put together, right? These plaques, you know, develop in these different areas and you have these side effects. What we're not sure about is whether these plaques are the cause of Alzheimer's or simply a byproduct that indicates that you have it, but are they the cause or not? So in other words, if you targeted the plaques, would you be cured or not, right? So we could talk a bit more about that in, in a second, but that's essentially the very short definition of Alzheimer's disease. 
What are the other dementias, by the way, or main ones? Yeah, under so the, the, umbrella? the main ones, we talked about one before a few months ago with Robin Williams, which is the Lewy body dementia. And the other type is a vascular dementia. So a vascular dementia is someone who has risk factors for stroke. Sometimes you won't, I'm very, I'm simplifying this quite a bit, but you won't have like an obvious stroke, right? Where you can't move an arm or a leg or something like that. Instead, you what you get is this progressive decline in your cognitive function. But it's actually, I shouldn't actually use the word progressive because it's not, it's actually a stepwise. So you seem to be okay. And then it's like you fall down a cliff and now you're at a new plateau. So you can see that's a mm -hmm. step, right? And then you're doing okay, then you fall down a cliff. But even more common sometimes is a mixed picture, right? Because people could have vascular risk factors for having stroke plus Alzheimer's. And you often see on autopsy later on this mixed pathology. So you can have all these different types. And sometimes it is hard. We have these dementia cognitive uh, neurologists is what we call dementia specialists who their job is to diagnose this just based on the clues that they get and from doing some of the testing they do. Okay. How common is Alzheimer's or should we really talk about how common dementia is now? And is it, yeah, is I mean, it growing? Is it in society? Do we see it yeah. you know this is always the question is it just being diagnosed more and more accurately or is it actually on the rise i think this we're able to sort out the specific types more which is better you know obviously but the concern is people are living longer and you know we should probably do a whole episode or maybe even a couple episodes on longevity right people i want to live longer i want to live longer you don't want to live longer you want to be young longer because just living longer is predisposing people to having you know, living longer and having more of these dementia processes. Mm -hmm. So how common is it? Well, live love, you want to be useful, but you also want to be pain free. There's no point in being, yeah. right? I think that's yeah. what it is. And, and have all your cognitive functions intact. I mean, yes. that's what people yeah. say, right? Like, I, I you yeah. know, it is a scary thing. And again, we'll, we'll get into this when we talk about what happened with Chris Hemsworth. But yeah, it's common. Alzheimer's disease is the most common subtype, a type of dementia. In the US, if we're just talking US numbers, there's about 6.08 million Americans who either have Alzheimer's disease or what we call mild cognitive impairment, the early kind of symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. That's expected to grow to 15 million by 2060, again, because people are living longer. It's the sixth leading cause of death in the US, accounting in oh, 2014 for about 3.6% of all deaths. And it's also a major economic problem because the cost of Alzheimer's disease and other dementias is estimated in 2017 in the US to be $259 billion. And it's estimated in the next like 30 years or so, it could rise as high as $1.1 trillion. When we talk about cost, are we talking about to the medical system? Or are we talking about just like Societally, like somebody Everything. with Alzheimer's could yeah. have an accident, and that's of cost. Oh, yeah. yeah, all those things, all those things. Cost okay. mainly it's medical costs, but cost to society as well, right? Because you also have to keep in mind indirect costs. All you and I, for better or for worse, are in this what we call the sandwich generation, right? Our parents are, are getting older, so we had to take care of them. Obviously, you had to take care of your mom quite a bit last year before she passed away. My parents are getting older. They have medical issues. And we also have our kids to take care of as well. And of course, you have some younger kids than I do. So it's tough, right, to balance these sort of things. So what about the cost of us, you and I, say, taking time off work to go care for our parents, right? There are costs to society for this. You're ruining sandwiches for a lot of people, including me, by the way. I'm a big fan until you described us as the sandwich generation. Okay. 
when did your German buddy come to four and rise oh, right. to prominence and start uh, diagnosing Alzheimer's? Yeah, it was 1901, the beginning of the 20th century. Okay. Alois, Alzheimer's. I've never heard of the name Alois for a, for a human before, but anyway, he was in a, he was a neurologist observing a patient in a Frankfurt asylum, a woman whose name is Mrs. Auguste D. Now, this is back in the unethical times where, yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty much confidential if I just use their first name and just their last initial, right? So she was 51 years old. And she had the short-term memory loss and other behavioral symptoms. And so he followed uh, her along clinically as a physician. Then after she died, he sent her brain to have an autopsy on it. And they were able to identify these amyloid plaques and neurofibrillary tangles. And these are the pathological hallmarks of what became known as Alzheimer's disease. And so, yeah, it was, it was first described by him like, a, you know, over 120 years ago. One of the causes is we're living longer, mm -hmm. or that's the reason we're seeing more of it. But what do we know about the causes of Alzheimer's? So it goes down again to this pathology, what happens when you're looking at the brain. So basically, in our brain, we have these connections, these microscopic connections in a support structure called microtubulars. And they kind of act like as a bit of a highway and they guide nutrients back and forth to our nerve cells or our, our neurons, which is what we call nerve cells in the brain. There's a protein called tau, T-A-U, which stabilizes these microtubules, okay? In Alzheimer's disease, tau is changed chemically, and it starts to pair with itself to these other threads, and then you get, you get these tangles. And then you also get these plaques, which we talked about, which are called beta amyloid plaques. And these things accumulate, and that's basically what Alzheimer's disease is, and we'll get in a bit to, if it's possible to target these. But essentially that's what it is. Again, we don't know exactly what causes these things to occur, but that's basically the pathology that we see when we examine the brain after people die. And as far as a diagnosis, even though you can't diagnose it definitively when they're alive, you know, in this show, in this, in this episode of Limitless, the show that Chris Helmsworth hosts, I guess she's a neurologist, she's doing some tests related to Alzheimer's. And it's kind of like a watch what I do and match what I do. And she's doing some things with her hand, you know, punch her knee, then slap her knee, open hand, then do something else. So I actually got lost on that immediately. And I was right away. I was like, okay, I might have Alzheimer's, but even he was laughing. Like it's a little tough to, those cannot be the, t although sometimes you've told me that certain diseases, you know, when you use what is that tool you guys have? The old the hammer? Reflex hammer, reflex a hammer. A reflex hammer. And if like there's no reflex, that's a huge sign of something yeah. or something in the eye. If the eyes don't move, that's a huge sign. So is it really for Alzheimer's? Is it a simple test or is it more invasive? Not really. So the, yeah, the, those are those are good questions. So what happens at the beginning is people you know, present usually with these memory problems, and then they have concerns. Often it's the caregiver who is concerned about the memory problems. Again, I'm really generalizing because obviously some people with Alzheimer's disease, they notice their own memory problems, but sometimes it's other people who are, are noticing it. And sometimes you can have what's called a pseudo dementia because of depression, very common in elderly people. So it, people think that they may have dementia and they get starting to get worried about it because they can't remember things, but it's actually because of depression, sometimes anxiety. And so when you see like a dementia specialist, they will be kind of teasing these things out. And so is the person the one reporting 
the memory problems. Maybe it's not a dementia, maybe it's a pseudo-dementia if that's the case, or is it the partner who's noticing or the kids who are saying, oh, you know, they seem to be forgetting things, what's going on with their cognitive functions. And then they can do a bunch of tests like this. These are sometimes, if it could be very detailed, these are called neuropsychological tests. By doing the test, you can identify which brain areas may be affected. Is it more visual spatial? Is it more a planning ordering problem in your brain? Is it a memory recall thing? So that, that test she was doing is a relatively basic test, but it can help give a clue as to what area is in an organization planning problem, right? That's mm -hmm. that's kind of what she was getting at by doing those tests. But really, it's that there are some markers that you can do in the spinal fluid or using very specialized kinds of scans like PET scans, but those are not commonly used. The average person who gets diagnosed with dementia will not have those extra tests. It will just be based on meeting the family, examining the patient, and then maybe doing some of these other neuropsychological tests to do it. So that's when I say it's a clinical diagnosis, that's what I mean. It's, it's by just seeing a patient in the office. Putting Helmsworth aside for a minute because his particular diagnosis was fairly unique. What is the prognosis and treatment? And is there, like once you have it, yeah. once you're diagnosed, is there any reversal or is it just, and I also wanted to ask about the speed of decline. Why do some people last another eight years after they're diagnosed and others a year? Yeah, it's very variable. This, this just to answer your last question first, the speed of decline. It can be, you know, the time from diagnosis to death can be as little as three years or as long as 10 or more years. If you have an early onset Alzheimer's disease, those patients tend to have a more aggressive rapid course than those with a later onset. An example of someone who had a very early onset Alzheimer's disease, I don't know if you know John Mann, who was a lead singer of Spear of the West, which was a, a, sure. a, a well-known Canadian band in the, in yeah, the 90s. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, I love that band. I thought this guy was such a good writer, such a good songwriter. And to see that kind of go away over time, I actually saw their last, I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you, you guys on the podcast, I saw their very last concert in Vancouver. I was there for a conference. And so I just bought a ticket and went to their very last concert at the Commodore in, in Vancouver. Such a great venue. And he had to use an iPad to remember the yeah. lyrics to songs he wrote. And I remember what happened was uh, they had a bunch of guests, and one of the guests was Stephen Page from the Bare Naked Ladies. And Stephen Page wanted to sing a song called D for Democracy. And so he's like, I'll be the lead singer on that song. And so I didn't watch Stephen Page singing that song. I watched John Mann, and he had no idea what the lyrics were. No idea. And he wrote the song. It was his song. And it was uh, it was quite sad to, to watch, uh, you know, when I realized that was, was what was going on. And he died several years later, relatively rapidly. And he died, I believe, in his 50s. That's what I was going to ask you. Early on onset means in your 40s, late 40s? Is that early? Yeah, it, it could be any time, really, like 40s, 50s. That would be an early onset of patient. So it, it is quite scary. And, and the problem is you just get progressive worsening over time. And you can also get anxiety, depression, insomnia, agitation, and you eventually need help with all your basic activities. So dressing, bathing, toileting. And eventually walking becomes difficult, swallowing can become difficult, and then sometimes you can only need to be fed through a tube. Patients often die of aspiration pneumonia, where either food, liquid, or their own saliva goes into, into their lungs. So it is really a concerning diagnosis. There is some treatment that can maybe slow the progression, but there's no cures, right? So 
in our brain, we have different neurotransmitters, and one of them is acetylcholine. And we know that these cholinergic systems in our brain can modify the information processing in the hippocampus and other areas of the brain. And so you can basically have these drugs that you can give. These are the mainstay of drugs that are used for Alzheimer's disease that can prevent the breakdown of acetylcholine. So you're preventing the breakdown of something. So you're increasing the amount of acetylcholine in the brain. And so that can kind of help, but it can really just slow the disease progress, perhaps. It really isn't a miracle drug. There is some hope on the horizon. There's a new drug that just came out called lakenemab. You may have heard about it. The big study came out in New England Journal of Medicine a few months ago. So this is an antibody, what's called a monoclonal antibody that binds to amyloid beta proteins, the substance that makes up the plaques, okay? And so they've done a bunch of studies in the past trying to see if they could target these amyloid beta plaques, and they never really found anything. So this actually binds to these amyloid beta soluble protofibrils. doesn't really matter, but this is slightly different than the studies in the past because all those studies in the past were negative, but this was actually a positive study. So they enrolled people with early Alzheimer's disease who had evidence of amyloid deposition on a PET scan, or they did a spinal fluid test. And basically they gave the patient this monoclonal antibody. These patients then had reduced markers of amyloid and moderately less decline in measures of cognition than patients who were on placebo. So it actually was a study that worked. Now, the bad news is they did have some adverse events, which included swelling of the brain. So the swelling, they say, was actually pretty minor and was transient. So it's not that concerning, but it's not a nothing side effect. So if you read the editorials about this drug, and I'll I'll link to some of them as well as an NPR article, it is quite promising, this drug, because of the fact that it is targeting the amyloid beta protein and you're seeing some improvement in cognitive function. It's not a smoking gun. It's not going to, or sorry, it's not a silver bullet, I think is the actual term, mm-hmm. but, it, but it is promising. So that there may be some hope for people and we'll see what happens with longer term studies of this antibody. But anyways, so that, that you may have heard of in the past couple of months was a big finding. Yeah, I think it's interesting that in this Limitless documentary, and we'll, we'll wrap up on this, we don't hear anything about the treatments that a millionaire celeb would have access to. Instead, he talks about the need and the requirement, you know, for for sleep and better quality food, which I think as far as good quality food and exercise as well is a huge part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like he would already have that. Right, You've seen exactly. Some he body. has unlimited so really resources. Just, unlimited resources. So it's really about his sleep, which has always been an issue since he was young, he says. But I found it interesting. So so this this is like if anybody has ever seen Zac Efron's series called Down to Earth, this is Chris Helmsworth hosts this series called Limitless. And he's sort of pushing himself, his body to new limits in every episode, whether it's ice baths or diving off a skyscraper, whatever he's doing. Asif had recommended that I watch episode five. And episode five is the episode where he's given this um, news that he has this particular combination of genes, quite rare, that puts him at risk, eight to 10 times more risk of Alzheimer's than the average person. And what I had read in Vanity Fair in November was that the doc, Peter Atia, who is this longevity doctor, longevity specialist, he was saying that he didn't want to give 
this diagnosis on camera. Mm-hmm. This is a very personal, private thing. That's just a doctor with ethics. But Chris Helmsworth was raised on a heavy diet of show business. So he was like, no, 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 no. Give it to <laughs> me on camera. And I'm sure the, you know, to be honest, the directors and producers were also probably like, oh, that's great. If he wants to hear it on ca- camera, this could be great. <laughs> you know, this is just how t- television and reality television works. But he was given that diagnosis. And, and from what I read, it was an authentic thing for him to hear it the first time. And yeah, so he, you know, it's an interesting episode. What, you know, for the sake of TV, they go on sort of a, basically what they do is they immerse themselves in nature for two days. How they do it and what they do specifically is a little more television sexiness. Mm -hmm. But in Mm -hmm. my mind, the takeaway for me was the benefit of being in tune with nature, clearing yourself of modern distractions, our phones, our stresses, the rest of it. And challenging your brain, which is something we've heard about Alzheimer's a lot, which you have not mentioned yet, that when people talk about ways to, I don't think they say combat, but in any case, ways to keep your mind active. You learn a new language, you learn a new instrument, you play puzzles and games and these kind of stuff. What are your thoughts on that? A lot of experts will say that doing mentally challenging activities, like you said, puzzles, brain teasers, things that invoke your cognitive functions more, may reduce the risk of developing people who are at risk. Whether if when you actually get the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease, whether that slows the progression, that's a bit more controversial. There's also this idea that people say, if you say you have a PhD in something and you're a very, very well-educated person, you have further to fall to get to a dementia level. Sure. There, there's also that suggestion as well. So, I, I mean, and those things are, are good, staying off your phone and, and challenging your mind. So I don't think anybody would have a problem with that. But again, saying that as a treatment for dementia, once you actually have full-blown Alzheimer's, I'm not quite sure. Right. about that no and i don't i don't think they were suggesting it was no. a treatment i yeah. was just uh, yeah that's something that, and, and, uh, and sleep as, as well as important that's some emerging literature that's coming out as well but why don't we just dive into what this is because it's pretty shocking so this is why you need to be a bit careful by doing genetic testing like doing the 23 and me and those ones that i forget what the other one's called ancestry.com or yeah where you could do the genetic testing because you might get some results you don't really want to know because what they said was they were going to do a battery of genetic tests and see what the future might have waiting for him. But I don't know if we mentioned this, his grandfather, Chris's grandfather, has Alzheimer's disease and he's seen the, the, how that can ravage your mind. So if we talk about genetic causes of Alzheimer's, there are some genes that unequivocally cause early onset Alzheimer's disease. One of them is a gene that encodes amyloid precursor protein, which is involved in this pathway of this amyloid deposition and these amyloid plaques. That's found on chromosome 21. Ali, there's another disease that's called trisomy 21, where you have three copies of chromosome 21. Do you know? I don't know if you know. That's Down syndrome. Oh, okay. I did not know that. And so people with Down syndrome are at an increased risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. A lot of people don't know that. No way. No, definitely never heard of that. Then there's two other genes called presenilin 1 and presenilin 2 that also confer you to get early onset Alzheimer's disease. But what Chris had is something different. So those other genes, the three ones I just talked about, those ones, if you have these mutations, you will basically get early onset Alzheimer's disease. There may be some exceptions, but that's what will happen. But what he has is a risk factor. So it doesn't mean 100% you will but you are at an increased risk. So this is the mutations in something called apolipoprotein E. And he has this E4 allele. And this E4 allele, if you have 
two copies of it, you have a significantly greater risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. The mean onset is lower for you if you have these two copies than other people, usually before 70 is when you'll manifest symptoms. And now most patients who develop Alzheimer's disease do not have these alleles. So it basically acts as a, as a risk factor for him. So as you said, he is at an increased risk. I don't know what to say, like he has this risk factor. The question is, Ali, would you want to know this, right? I don't know if he wanted to know this or not. He found this out. If you say do one of these 23andMe tests or do this battery of tests that he had through Dr. Tia, and you find out you have the BRCA genes for breast cancer, there's something you could do about that, right? If you, sure. you, you may want to opt for mastectomy, as we talked about in a previous episode, maybe have your ovaries removed for ovarian cancer. There are options, but are there options really for him in just doing this? Well, Dr. Atias starts off by saying, I want to put you on a plan. I don't know if he phrased it that way, but I want to do some things with your life. We want to look at some things that can bring down your risk from eight to 10 times to a normal risk of, of the every, yeah. everyday human being, right? And that began number one, first and foremost, which is very telling, which is why we're going to do an episode devoted to sleep and devoted to rest. He recommended rest is the first thing. Yeah, we've talked about this before, Ali. Like, I think those recommendations being made to the general public to say, like, oh, you know, you should decrease sleep. You can maybe decrease your risk of Alzheimer's. Prescribing that to an individual person to decrease his risk, I don't know. I don't know if there's enough evidence there to do it. Is it good for Chris to eat well, exercise, and regulate sleep? Probably it is. It's going to help a bunch of other things. I don't know. I mean, it's the most you can do, but you avoided my question. <laughs> What would you do? Oh, you're asking me what would I do yeah. if I found out? No, would you want to know? Would you want to know about this? Because here's another example. We gave you an example of the BRCA1 gene where you could actually do something. Another example is Huntington's disease. Huntington's disease is an inherited disease in the family, and you get progressive cognitive problems, psychiatric issues, and abnormal movements, and you eventually die from it. And if you have a parent who has Huntington's disease, you have a 50-50 chance of getting it. Hmm. So do you want to know? I think I'd want to know. In Huntington's disease, there's no real treatment, unlike, say, the breast cancer, where there's maybe some options. And unlike what Chris has, which is just a risk, it's not saying he's going to have it. But would you want to know? Because if you don't have it, then you can relax, right? And you can be, you can say, you know, I, I'm good. And if you do have it, though, how does that affect you mentally? Panic. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, some people were like, well, it's good. I know I can live life to its fullest in a way that maybe I wouldn't have had I not known until this diagnosis comes, or I can start having conversations with my family about end of life planning. I think personally, I'd rather know. And and, th and that's fine. And everybody's individual. I'm not sure I would want to know, but I don't know. I'm not sure I would. So all this to say is very interesting thing that came out. I, I encourage people to watch that episode. It's very interesting. I have some comments about that episode, but maybe we can save that for, for another day. Like the neurologist who was helping him with the cognitive stuff travels with him to the outback and sets up a map for obstacle. him to, you know, yeah. uh, not an obstacle course, but like a, uh, almost like an orienteering session for him to do. Yes. Anyway, it's a bit of a bridge too far to assume that every neurologist is going to be following That's you. television. That's television. Yeah, no, that's, that's television. Yeah. And right? it's, that's it's, it's Darren is. Aronofsky. Do you know Darren Aronofsky? 
I do, I do. Slightly controversial fella, but yeah, sure. He's the director of the of the show, and it, as you said, he's done other ones like this. He did one with Will Smith years ago, so for the National Geographic Channel. So, anyway, check it out. I encourage you guys to see it. Hopefully, you guys found this interesting, and, and uh, you know, we obviously we wish the best for Chris Hemsworth. I I would find it stressful knowing it, but he's trying as much as he can to integrate some of these recommendations. So Ollie, that's our show for today. Everyone, let us know what you thought about this episode. Let us know what you thought about Chris Hemsworth. Do you want to hear more about these other topics about longevity, etc.? Sleep. Sleep. Ali really wants to talk about sleep. We should talk about it. We'll start off maybe talk about sleep apnea, which uh, one sure. of the two of us has. Uh, well, that's that the could whole, be a, a whole other. Yeah. That's a whole yeah. full episode on its own. Yeah. And then maybe we'll progress into, into sleep after that and sleep disorders. I also want to know if that's on the rise because I keep meeting more people who have sleep apnea and require the, you know, mask machine at night. Yeah, yeah. we'll definitely talk about that. Reach out to us, Dr. V Comedian, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are everywhere, Dr. V Comedian at gmail.com. Ali, anything to mention before we get out of here? Yeah, I'm touring the country of Canada over the next few months, including 10 dates in Ontario in January. In February, I'm in Moncton. I'm in Victoria in March. And then I go across the West, prairies in the West in Mar over March and April. And Canada Reads, you can check cbcbooks.ca for the long lists. The short list will be coming out. And then Canada Reads is at the end of March. Awesome. But remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only, and they're not medical advice. Okay, Chris Hemsworth, I'm not giving you medical advice, but please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. Bye.